from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Theologically, the, the, the point is, yeah, this he, God became man in a certain historical context and setting. We portray Jesus a lot of times in 15th century garb. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we got stuck there. We haven't moved past it. We've been putting him in our own historical context. So, Kabadu, you position Jesus in the window with his palms out and Mary Magdalene with her fist raised. That definitely came from conversation with Reverend Mike. So many parents having lost their sons to causes, to just, and even not causes, it just felt real present. I'm Sarah Fenske. The Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion in University City is changing how biblical figures are portrayed in liturgical art. That comes from a first-of-its-kind collaboration between the century-plus-old St. Louis company that makes stained-glass windows and a noted local artist. Our producer Kayla Drake stopped by the church last week to check out the artwork. As Pastor Mike Angel walks down the aisle of his church, he points out biblical figures. Just about all of them are white. You know, big prominent white Jesus. But the church's membership is not all white. It's grown in diversity since integrating in the 1960s. But we had not integrated the art. Um, lots of white Jesus and stained glass. That's a problem for Pastor Angel, because he said his faith teaches believers to see Jesus Christ in all persons. It's why he commissioned a new set of stained glass windows. In a congregation as diverse as this one, It's about 40% African-American. It becomes very important that people see themselves in the sacred story. They see themselves in the biblical story. They see themselves represented in their church. And so the decision to commission a new set of windows was in part so that we had a little bit more representation in the sense of whose story this is that we tell each week. So Church Leaders Fund raised $14,000 to pay for a new stained glass window. They hired Emil Fry and Associates to create it. Emil Fry is a legendary stained glass company that's existed in St. Louis for 124 years. It's worked in more than 7,000 churches. Pastor Angel had two requests for the company. One, Jesus needed to be black. And two, he wanted local painter Kababi Bayak, who's known for his work on diversity, to design it. It took some convincing on that second part for Aaron Fry, a fifth-generation Fry and the president of the company. When we first approached Aaron about working with Kababi, I think there was a little bit of hesitation, mostly because I think Aaron has to put up with a lot of churches that are like, don't you want my uncle to work on this piece of stained glass? And he's like, no, there's a really complicated media. I don't know. And it was funny because as much fun as it's been listening to Kababi, every time I've talked to him about how this is. The first time I heard back from Aaron after Kababi had been in studio, he's like, oh no, this guy knows what he's doing. He took it up right away. It's going to be fun. So it was fun to play matchmaker a little bit and get to like put. (laughs) And it was, it was fun to be wrong. Um, (laughs) I was, I was very happy to, uh, we, we've worked in the past with people doing their first attempt at stained glass. And I don't, I don't think a first attempt is really ever gone well, which was my real reticence when you'd mentioned that. I would say this is a pretty big triumph of a first attempt at stained glass for Kababi. 
This first attempt took five years from concept to completion. It's a painstaking process. I mean, the individual cut panels of glass are all hand-painted and then glazed and assembled. And last week, Aaron Fry installed the first of what the church hopes will be a four-window set. The four windows being planned will outline the biblical road to salvation in stained glass. The church decided to start with Jesus and Mary Magdalene first. On resurrection morning, the story is that Mary encounters the risen Christ at the tomb, and Christ tells her to go tell the male apostles. Uh, And so there's a feminist theologian who calls her the apostle to the apostles, the sent one to the sent ones. But we loved this idea that Mary would be the last figure you see kind of on her way out with her fist in the air like the revolution continues, you know, the work continues. In the window, Jesus has an afro that forms a halo around his head. His palms are extended outwards. Mary Magdalene has long sweeping braids that melt into a river of living water. And her fist is raised. Done. That went a little faster than expected. Good measurement taking. That's where it all starts. Aaron Fry has a sort of whispered reverence when he steps back to look at the full piece. Yeah, that's the most fun part. It's the first time you get to see the window in its context and its, uh, I guess, full glory. Uh, the outside environment and. Just, yeah, how it relates to the rest of the room. It's, it's always a treat. Yeah, everyone, everyone is always competing to do the installations in our, our studio. Oh, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> in the studio, you don't get to see the whole window together. In other art, light bounces off and reflects back to the eye. But stained glass lets light pass through. Because of that, you don't really know how a window will look until it's installed. It's so much more translucent, I think, than I imagined. And so it's so neat to see, like, the trees through the window. Artist Kababi Bayak used timeless painting and soldering techniques to create his fresh take on sacred art. And if you look at Jesus's face, there's two, three panels, and you have essentially three different variations in the skin tone for Jesus, all of which are, you know, representative in the African American community. But we have diversity not just in, you know, there are folks who identify as black and folks who identify as white in the congregation, but people who have very different, you know, skin tone. And so that is all caught up in the person of Jesus in this window. It's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, what really struck me was just the way he postured both Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. Like, this is is a triumph. Um, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I've, I've not, I've not seen her depicted like this before, yeah. and I have worked in thousands of churches. Pastor Angel says the window is being installed in defiance of recent efforts to whitewash history. I love these windows as a loving, beautiful contradiction to what can feel like hard days for folks who care about diversity and equity. The church hopes the window will inspire more donations. They need to raise more than 50000 so they can finish the story. 
And that was producer Kayla Drake at the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion in University City last week. And joining us now is Aaron Fry. He's the president of Emil Fry and Associates. Aaron, welcome. Thank you for having me. So your company has such an interesting history. Your great-great-grandfather was the Emil Fry. What brought him to the U.S.? Well, he was a pacifist artist uh, in an era and context. Uh, the social climate there at the time was heading in a fascist, fascist direction. Um, this was in Germany. In Germany, and around the late 1890s. So, uh, obviously, uh, a pacifist artist uh, shooting a gun in a fascist regime is not going to make too much sense. Uh, he wanted to... Uh, practice his art. Uh, so he fled with his wife, or his fiance at that time, to the United States. And, um, and I understand he started in San Francisco. How did he end up I, coming to St. Louis? Well, they were actually on their way back to Germany, because um, his his wife, Emma, had become so, so homesick that um, she said, we're going back. On the way back, they, they stopped by in St. Louis to visit some friends, uh, got off the train, and immediately heard German being spoken. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, naturally they, they felt quite at home here. Uh, Emma said that we, we can stay here, which was a great re- relief to Emil uh, because he would have had to go, go back and face the music for abandoning his post, for, for, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. So they ended up building not just a home here but a business. Mm-hmm. Um, your company has now done 7,000 churches? To the best of our knowledge. You don't uh, have exact you know, records? We don't have. I, in the 1960s, we moved our studios, uh, our studio, and then it was, records were lost, much to the chagrin of myself, because weekly I've, I get two or three emails saying, did you do our windows? Um, I say, send me a picture. That's the best way for me to identify you it. You can tell from looking mm-hmm. at a picture. Yeah. How can you tell? Um Every studio has their signature hallmarks, and the tricky thing is that there were three or four studios uh, when we were really in the the, the bulk of our work volume-wise doing a very similar approach. It's called the Munich style. Um, they were all drawing off the same images, um, using pretty much the same compositions, scenes, but even in the, something like the... Uh, posture of uh, the form or the shape of a beard of, you know, let's say Jesus or one of the saints, um, there's telling signs within that, paint strokes, depth, um, the way the architectural canopy works around the overall image. Every studio had a slight difference, but unless you're really well immersed into this, they look one and the same almost. <laughs> yeah. I've never paid attention <laughs> yeah. to these things. All the churches I've sat in, mm-hmm. um, but you can tell. Mm-hmm. What are some of the prominent examples around town? Ooh, we, uh, St. Louis has no shortage of, of great churches. Um, you know, the, the, the highlights, let's go a little bit historically. So St. Francis de Sales, uh, pretty much at Jefferson and, and Graveway. Um, Amazing. That's an amazing church. It's the tallest steeple in St. Louis. Uh, beautiful. It's a college church just down the street here. Yeah, in um, Grand Center. It's an amazing, wonderful Jesuit uh, parish there. That's right. Um, New Cathedral Basilica, my family's responsible for doing, our st- family studio responsible for doing most of the mosaics there. Hmm. Um, St. Mark's Episcopal down uh, near Francis Park. Um, hailed as one of the first, or if if not the first, modern church in St. Louis. Uh, architect was Fred Dunn. Beautiful. Not a lot of notoriety. Um, you know, the south side of St. Louis, it's just this real wealth of um, 
these these Gothic revival, especially so, as does the North Side. So Holy Trinity up uh, just alongside Holy, um, Interstate 70, St. Anthony of Padua down South St. Louis. Um, you go down the street and you're going to see a church done um, 75 years later, designed by Joe Murphy. That is very modern. Um, it's we. we we don't appreciate the density of churches in this city. Yeah. I mean, having lived in Dallas for eight years, I can tell you this is a special place. This is a special place. Thank you for saying that, Aaron yeah. Fry. And, you know, and your family and you, this company's work has been mm-hmm. a huge part of making these churches. And what's so interesting is that this collaboration that you've now done with Kababi Bayak, this is something brand new. After 124 years, I imagine there's not much that's brand new to a company. Yeah, yeah. So you you really don't... Artists typically go through, and for good reason, the craft stage before they design a window. You have to know how to design a stained glass window because it is so much different than painting on canvas. You have to understand how lead works within a window, the structural integrity of the glass itself. You can't make a really sharp, acute angle in a piece. It will break the the glass over time. Um, So there are all these little nuances that are you best learned through the the process of making a window and then you go to design a window. So a lot of artists spend four or five years before they even design their first window. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, very much in the apprenticeship mode. Um, it's the best way to learn it. Yeah, I mean, hearing your conversation with, with Kayla, it, it was clear to me why you'd be somewhat close to people wanting to just sure. reference it, mm. an outside artist and bring this person in and let's just do this and this will be amazing. And yet you've done now this collaboration that worked out amazingly. And we are now joined by our second guest today. That is artist Kababi Bayak. Kababi, welcome. Hey, hey, welcome. Thank you. Well, not welcome, but thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. So we heard a little bit of Aaron's perspective on why he's been skeptical on bringing in outside artists in the past. What about for you? When, when this church said, we want you to work in stained glass, did you have to be sold on that idea? Oh, not at all. But it was uh, definitely very intimidating. Um, even before meeting Aaron and talking to his crew, um, I get it. So... I definitely want to be respective of the craft um, because there is a lot of detail that is necessary that's not seen from the untrained eye. And not to say at all that I have a trained eye, but just being in that space, which is is very rich history that uh, I appreciate. And Kababi, had you ever worked in glass before, even if not necessarily churches and stained glass? Uh, Painting on glass, I have, and even that's hard, so... To put this material on glass is very, very cool. Um, so I, I felt very comfortable, but I can definitely, having seen it installed, he was giving me some intel on the what to look for and how to approach it. So the things that he was saying have really hit my eyes tremendously once I saw the finished product. So Kababi, in what ways was working with stained glass different than how you'd approach working on a mural? Uh for lack, for just from my own interpretation, um, the approach is like it felt more um, subtractive, um, kind of like when I was in college working on clay or like a scratch board. So it's like you got to do both. You got to both add to the glass and then you got to take away and we'll do this back and forth until you get the desired effect. 
Aaron, so I, I saw it's, you it's nodding there as, as yeah. Kababi described that. That's true to your experience with this medium as well. Right. A lot of people think that um, uh, you just paint on the glass, fire it, and you're done. But really, a, a large part of what we do is blacking out the entire piece and then scratching away to reveal the color underneath. So it's a little bit like sculpture. You're, you're chipping away at uh, a lot of the stone to reveal the image in there. And what's the idea on that? Why do you have to start by painting it black? Well, it's uh, to achieve certain tones uh, for, for sure. Just um, uh, the shading helps to it helps to bring out the shading um, and just the density of lines. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a, far different. So when we're talking about tones, that's actually a perfect segue into what makes Kababi's work here so different is that we have a Jesus who doesn't have that peach tone skin that we've all gotten so used to seeing. Uh, Kababi, growing up, did you see many depictions of Jesus or Mary as black people? Oh, no, only on good times. (laughs) (laughs) And did that impact your faith? Um... No, I wouldn't say so because it wasn't even an image in mind uh, when going to church with my mom and sister and dad in earlier years. Like, no, it was never a, a question. It's always been a, a piece of conversation in the black community mm-hmm. about the color of Jesus, but no, I mean, it doesn't necessarily affect your faith. But it's a subject of conversation. What, what do some of those conversations sound like? Is, is there some frustration with it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it just depends on who you talk to. Some people don't care. Some people strongly care. Some people are oblivious. Some people just throw the shoulders up like it is what it is. Like, you know, it just depends on who you talk to. So, Aaron, for so long, the default has been that we make Jesus look like a Mm -hmm. European. He might even Mm -hmm. almost look like a German, which we know is not historically accurate. Is that something that had been on your mind prior to this project? Uh, Well, I mean, not, not particularly poignant in my mind. I would say... I mean, you're, we're working with God-made man, right, and the incarnate word. So it's uh, – we, we, we also we, – we, por- we portray Jesus a lot of times in 15th century garb. Mm-hmm. For some reason, we got stuck there. We haven't moved past it. Yeah. Um, but I think the – theologically, the, the, the point is, yeah, this – God became man in a certain historical context and setting. Um and throughout the, the history, we've been putting him in our own historical context and setting. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm. But I, I can fully appreciate any generation that wants to place it within their setting, within their community. Jesus is there for them. Exactly. He died for all men so, so that all may be saved. So, Kababi, you positioned Jesus in the window with his palms out and Mary Magdalene with her fist raised. Uh, where did that idea come from? That definitely came from conversation um, with Reverend Mike. And also, I mean, as work, while working on it in the studio, it just it felt right given all that was going on. So many parents having lost their sons to causes, to just, and even not causes, it just felt real present. So there were moments when it just felt like it wasn't even about necessarily the story. It was a more universal message being shared. Mm-hmm. Kababi, I understand you also have a signature bird that goes into a lot of your murals. <laughs> Did that bird make this stained glass? 
Absolutely. So I have a blackbird that I put in my murals um, that I created once at an art fair, and it just took fold. And so most of my murals are in schools around the city and even now on the highway. And I always put that bird in there just to kind of tie them all together to one story, you know. So, yeah. So, Aaron, you're talking about how you can see, you know, which are your company's windows. This is like, you know, this is your company's window. And then also there's the signature of Kababi there. Absolutely. Um, because a lot of what we do is we use noble materials, um, thoughtful designs, expert hands. Um, I, I just want to add to what your question to Kababi sure. was just posed. Um, it was so much fun to see Kababi take a, a design on, you know, that on screen or on paper, and then grow it to something that wasn't expected. Yeah. Like, like, the, you know, the core is there. But all the details within the window uh, led to a much richer design, and that happens organically. That's, that's, that's the spirit of working there, um, the spirit of Kababi, the spirit of God, whatever you want to call it. There is some real growth and development within the first day and ultimately the installation. Kababi, do you feel that too, what Aaron just described? Oh, absolutely. I can never, even the mural I'm working on now, I can never sketch completely what is going to happen. It always takes on a whole new life in, you know, in the process. So, yeah, I absolutely agree 100%. So as Kayla referenced, this has now been a five-year process. Kababi, did that surprise you, finding out just how long it takes from beginning to installation with something like this? Oh, no, not at all. And just think, watching those guys work over there, I'm I'm surprised that windows aren't even more, uh, haven't been more planned in advance than that. I mean, they're doing some amazing work over there. So, um, yeah, just to think of all that it takes to put this project together and all the hands that need to touch it. Yeah, it totally made sense. So I'm I'm just glad that it happened and I got to experience it. So we, if people are curious to see this, uh, we have a, a photo of what this looks like on our website. That's stlonair.show. We also have it up on Twitter at stlonair. Um, Aaron, now that this is up, um, what's your takeaway from this collaboration and from this piece of art? Uh, let's let's get the next uh, three bays done. <laughs> You're kind of you want to you want to do all four right. panels for this. Well, you know, uh, it's it's understandable that a lot of churches will do one window first. Um, the funds simply aren't there a lot of times. Doing that first window, the parish, the community can see. Okay, these guys can deliver. Yeah, this this is going to change the space. Uh, game changer here. So, it, generally speaking, the excitement that is generated from that will mean that the next stage is much sooner. God willing, that's the case. Uh, but also, I mean, yeah, I'd, I think for Kababi's first attempt, I would I would love to see what he would do on his fifth attempt, his tenth attempt. Kababi, would, do you yeah. think you'll continue to work in stained glass even after these four panels uh, hopefully complete this project? I hope so. And just like Aaron said, even, even, in, even in this space alone, I hope that the growth is able to be seen um, from the first to the fourth um, window, like, yeah, I definitely ho- uh, hope that I get some more experiences from this. And final question for you: Do you feel like this experience is going to influence your art going forward? Oh, it already has. I've even I've even uh, done a a painting of this design just because I wanted to see how it would work on campus. So I'm definitely influenced. Well, Kababi Bayak, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you soon, Aaron.
Yes, you too, Kababi. And Aaron Fry, president of Emil Fry & Associates, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.